0: In just a moment, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 15. We started chapter 15 last week, and we're continuing looking at it today. And we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 21 of Romans 15. And the question we're going to be asking, and you'll see why as we look at these verses, is this, when and how should you speak boldly? Now, when you hear the word bold or boldly, uh, I, I kind of wonder what comes to your mind, whether you think of that as uh, an issue where maybe somebody's getting in trouble or somebody's crossing a line, or if you think of it as maybe forcefully or strongly. Uh, but in this portion of Scripture, you could see that we are encouraged as followers of Christ to speak with boldness in particular ways at particular times and if you would take your bibles and open up to Romans 15 starting with verse 14 i'm going to read these verses for us and we're going to be and we're going to be talking about this idea of when and how should we speak boldly but this is what it says in Romans 15:14 it says i myself am satisfied about you my brothers that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge "'and able to instruct one another. "'But on some points I have written to you "'very boldly by way of reminder "'because of the grace given me by God "'to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles "'in the priestly service of the gospel of God "'so that the offering of the Gentiles "'may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. "'In Christ Jesus, then, "'I have reason to be proud of my work for God.' For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today. And Father, we pray that as we look at this portion of your scriptures, that we would meditate on these truths, that we would grow from them, that we would understand the ways in which you're working in our lives and the ways in which you're working in this world and the ways in which you seek to use the mouths and the minds that you have given us so that we could testify to you and glorify your name and ultimately fulfill the mission that you've outlined for our lives so Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of your word today, that these would be the type of things that would be on our, on our mind, and that we would give you glory for all that you've done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we commit this time to you now and pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a brand new lead pastor, fresh out of college, I was invited by another pastor to come and to speak to a group of teens. And I was uh, I was more than happy to do that. That wasn't something that I was unfamiliar with, because for multiple years prior to that, I had been a youth pastor, and I had also been highly involved in camping ministries. And so I thought, all right, speaking to teens, that'll be something uh, I'm happy to do. Something certainly wasn't new to me. I accepted his invitation, and I came, and I spoke to that group of teens. But unfortunately, it didn't go very well that day. I thought it was going to go much better than it did, but in effect, it, it, it seemed to flop. And when I look back at it, even when I look back at it that day, later that day, I realized that my approach was all wrong. Uh, I was under the mistaken impression that now that I had a new pastoral role, that I needed to be somebody who was much more serious than I had been up in the past. Um, how well do you suppose that worked for me? Probably not very well, right? I thought I had to be a lot more serious and I had to be a lot more somber. And so what I ended up doing was communicating the life-changing message of the Word of God in a very dull and lifeless way. And that's how how that came across. And I imagine that those teens probably felt like they were at just the most boring lecture that they had ever been invited to be at. And I could see in their faces that they were bored to tears. People always think that the speaker doesn't notice them individually. I promise you, we notice your individual faces, right? Every single one of you. I notice your individual faces with two exceptions. Those of you that sit on this side of the room over here and this side of the room over here, you're out of my peripheral vision. So if you ever want to get away with anything, those are the two spots that you want to sit in in the sanctuary Uh, But just the same, I could see in their faces that they were bored to tears. And so afterward, I was talking with the pastor who had invited me, and I could tell that he was disappointed. I could tell that this wasn't exactly what he had in mind, but I asked him, so uh, how'd I do? And his comment to me was, well, it wasn't your finest moment. (laughs) and he said but then he tried to you know comfort me a little bit and he said but you know this could be a tough age group to speak to this 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 could be a challenging group but he didn't have to say any more because i know i knew that all right that went that kind of went terrible and looking back you know when i think back to that moment i think all right i wish i had allowed myself to show more personality and uh, and i i regret giving the unintended impression that the word of god was dull That was a mistake that I had made in that context. I wish I'd shared the Word of God in that moment with more life and with more boldness, that I was more emphatic and excited about the things that I was sharing. I wish I was more focused on the value of what I was sharing than how I looked while I was sharing it. Do you understand the difference between the two? By the way, that's why a lot of people get very nervous when they're speaking in public, because they get more focused on how they look speaking, then they focus on the value of what they're about to share. But in that moment, as someone who was brand new, as someone who was a rookie at doing this, I was more focused on how I looked than I was on what I was sharing, and I regretted it instantly. So let me say this as we dig into the Scripture that we're looking at today. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a speaker, whether you're a preacher, whether you're something else, whatever category you fall in, There's a time for every single one of us when it's very appropriate to speak with boldness, particularly when we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when will that be? And how should we go about it? Well, when you look at the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, it gives us counsel as to how to approach those things from a bold standpoint that brings glory to Christ. And one of the pieces of advice that I see that, that we're given in this portion of Scripture is this. Start by saying something nice. Start by saying something nice. Look at verse 14. It says this. "I myself." So Paul's saying this, by the way, to the church at Rome, right? And he says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So let's pause there for just a second. Now, um, one of the things that I like to do, and I know some of you do this as well, uh, but one of the things I like to do is read, and I try to read frequently. In fact, we had um, uh, the men's group over our house not too long ago, and uh, as they were preparing to come over, my wife was looking around the family room where everyone was going to meet, and she said, are you going to leave that stack of books on the end table there? Are you going to take care of that before we have company? And right next to where I sit in our family room, there are the current 15 books that I'm reading. You know, it's like changing channels. I'll read a little bit from one book and I'll be like, all right, that was an interesting chapter. Now I want to read something else. And I'll go to the next one. I have a stack of books that doesn't seem like it ever gets any smaller because I'll finish one and quickly replace it with two. And so it's just just growing. I, I even said last night to my family as we were sitting around the family room, I said, guys, come on, It's time. let's get rid of the TV and just get more books. That's what I, I, I was talking about last night. I don't have anyone on my side with that yet. <laughs> but I really am starting to feel that way. The excuse everyone gave, because they knew that, they, that I would uh, fall in line with this, is like, but what about football? And I said, hey, you know, they're starting to broadcast that now to our phones and to our iPads and to our computers. We could get rid of the TV. No one's on my side yet. It's five against one in my house with this. But I was reading in a book some time ago, and I, I read this a long time ago, actually, but uh, there was a particular leadership book that was recommended to me uh, by a pastor that I'm friends with, and, and uh, so I read it, and one of the things that was mentioned in this, this particular leadership book was a nugget of advice that I thought was pretty interesting, and the author of this book said this. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, if you're ever writing a critical letter to somebody, take a moment to share three things you appreciate about that recipient before you offer your critique. So he said three things that you appreciate about that recipient before you offer your critique. And I thought that was good advice. I thought that was something wise to do. And in some respect, when you look at what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 15, I think he's doing something similar to that when you look at verse 14 of this passage. So look at some of the nice things the Apostle Paul takes a moment to state to the church at Rome. He tells them that in his eyes they were full of goodness, they were full of knowledge, and he says likewise you know, that that he thought that they were proficient enough in spiritual truths that they could effectively instruct one another. Now when you look at Paul saying these things and you look at the specific details of what he shared here, I think that was rather kind of Paul to say those things to the church at Rome. And if I had to guess, and Paul doesn't offer commentary on why he chose these words, but if I had to guess, I imagine what he was trying to do was to be careful not to overload them or not to exasperate them while he was challenging them to continue to grow in their faith. He's trying to encourage them for the progress that they've made while also continuing to encourage them to continue to make that progress. And I think that that's a wise pattern for us to observe. As believers living in the day in which we live, I think we can look at this and learn some things from it. And uh, I think this is particularly useful when you take a moment to just think about those that the Lord's given you the opportunity to influence. So there are those in your life that you have influence over. You have influence over your children. You have influence over your family in general. You have influence over your friends and your acquaintances. You have influence when we gather together for worship here as a church family. We have influence over one another. In fact, when I think back over the course of my youth, some of the most influential people in my life at that period of time were the older people who were part of my local church. They had influence over me. And if you want to truly earn the opportunity to speak into somebody else's life. So if you're an older person looking for an opportunity to speak into a young person's life, or if you're looking to the, for the opportunity to speak into the, to, to the life of one of your peers, or somebody like that, or if you're even looking to speak into the life or influence somebody who's older than you, I believe it's wise to follow the example that we're given here by starting with saying something Nice. Now, Paul was going to say some things to to the church at Rome that were quite challenging, and he already had said some of those things as well. But here in this portion of Scripture, you can see he makes a point to say something nice. And in fact, when you look throughout the course of the letters that the apostle Paul wrote, when he was teaching and when he was counseling the churches that he was serving, this is a pattern he utilized in other contexts as well. And uh, when you think through some of the churches that he he taught and led, there were some very challenging things that he had to confront those churches about. But he was always trying to be careful not to overload them, or not to exasperate them, or not to overgrieve them. He wanted to point them toward Christ. He wanted to be an effective user of his words, and he didn't want to crush their spirit while he was trying to encourage them to grow in their faith. Speaking with kindness, speaking with grace with grace uh, is usually a precursor. It's very often a precursor for us to be mindful to utilize if we're looking for the opportunity to also have the chance to speak boldly into somebody's life. So you speak with kindness. You speak with grace. You start with saying something nice. And earn that opportunity to speak with boldness. And as you've earned that opportunity, don't be afraid to gracefully stir people up. Look at how Paul does this here in verses 15 and 16. He says, But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder Because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let's pause there for just a moment. I mentioned a few minutes ago uh, an example, a story from my early years of serving full-time in pastoral ministry and uh, allow me to share one more thing that I remember wrestling with during that same period of time. I remember my first year of pastoral ministry. I had just purchased a computer. I had it on my desk. It was the first computer I had ever owned. Now it's kind of like a given that everybody would have a computer, but prior to that, i had never owned a computer, and I thought, all right, I'm going to need a computer to be able to do many of the things that I need to do for word processing and creating different documents and things like that. So I actually went and I bought a computer. I remember that thing sitting on my desk. And each week I would try my best to prepare a thoughtful message from the Scriptures. And uh, for a little bit, things seemed to go all right as I was pastoring my first church. And then I remember getting to a spot where I felt like I had uh, almost like a creative block. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know what else to preach on. Now, that's kind of a scary spot to get to when you've only been in pastoral ministry full-time for several months, right? But this is what I used to wrestle with in my mind at that time. I, I was 21 years old, and I used to think to myself, all right, there are people in this congregation who have been believers in Christ much longer than I've even been alive. What could I possibly teach them that they haven't heard? A Million times. That's what got in my mind, unfortunately. I used to think, what could I possibly tell them that they haven't heard a hundred times before? I actually pictured people saying in their mind as I was preaching, eh, I've heard this before. Eh, I've heard this message. Uh, by the way, um, I'm in the process of, of helping uh, one of our sister churches find uh, guest speakers and candidates for ministry. And uh, last week, someone spoke there, and uh, his topic was on the cost of discipleship. And I just found out that the speaker they have coming today uh, told them his message title was The Cost of Discipleship. So two weeks in a row, they're hearing a very similar message. Surprise! I guess that's something that the Lord wanted them to hear. But I used to think to myself, what could I possibly say that, that these folks haven't heard before? And it used to bug me. It used to get in my mind. I used to worry about it a little bit. But then you look at a portion of Scripture like what we just read from Romans 15. And it communicates to us that basically every, you know, not every teaching moment is supposed to be about communicating something brand new. So you don't have to communicate something brand new every time you preach or every time you teach or every time you speak. That's not what communication is all about. It's not always about new content. Sometimes what we're supposed to be doing is reminding one another of things that we already know so that those truths, which maybe are sitting dormant somewhere in a file cabinet in the back of our minds, get brought back to our the forefront of our minds once again. So instead of sitting back here forgotten, we start thinking about them fresh We start thinking about them all over again. And that's apparently what the Apostle Paul was trying to do as he communicated in this passage. He wanted to remind the Romans of the ways in which the grace of God was at work, so that they wouldn't miss it, so that they wouldn't forget it, so that they wouldn't stop thinking about it and put it back in their minds somewhere far away as if it was something that they didn't really need to think about anymore. And so we could see Paul doing that here, but by the way, Paul isn't the only one of the apostles who made a point to remind people of what they already knew. You could actually see the apostle Peter attempting to do the same thing for the church during this era when Peter's talking in his second epistle. In fact, look at what he says in 2 Peter 1.13. Peter said, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, to stir you up by way of reminder. In fact, this was a verse that when I came across this during that first year of my ministry that the Lord used to speak to me about this very issue that I was wrestling with. And I remember at that point thinking, wait a second, it doesn't just have to be new content. Sometimes the Lord wants you to stir His people up by reminding them of things they already know and they just haven't thought about recently. And you see Paul doing that here in Romans 15. You see Peter doing that in Second Peter chapter 1. And basically, as men who were empowered by the grace of Christ, you have Paul and Peter trying to gracefully stir up the early believers. And to some degree, it, it appears from these verses that we're looking at from Romans, that Paul was trying to help the church at Rome to appreciate the nature of the ministry that the Lord had entrusted to him. So Paul, keep in mind, was Jewish in background. He had grown up a very devoted Jew, a very faithful Jew. He was somebody that had memorized major portions of the Old Testament. And he was somebody who was very zealous for the Jewish faith for quite some time. And now, of all the people you wouldn't have expected the Lord to select for this task, Paul was selected by the Lord to be one who would preach to the Gentiles. He was given an open door to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to all these different Gentile groups from city to city and from country to country. And Paul was trying to stir up the church to value that opportunity for evangelism and outreach. Because I think he was concerned that some folks in the church at Rome were becoming too inwardly focused instead of valuing open doors like this that the Lord had given them. And interestingly, this is an area, by the way, where we as believers living in our era need to be stirred up as well. This is where we need to regularly be stirred up, because naturally speaking, we, we prefer familiar places and established relationships. I mean, if you analyze your life and if I analyze my life, that's very true. I like familiar places and established relationships. It's uncomfortable when you go someplace that you haven't been to before. And it can be challenging to try and meet new people. I mean, think about how exhausting it could be to meet a whole bunch of new people all at one time. Just a few weeks ago, I had to go to a conference that I have to go to, a ministry conference every year related to our credentialing and all of that. And at that, I have small, brief conversations with people that I know well and small, brief conversations with people that I don't know at all all throughout the week. And you know how I feel at the end of the week? Half of me feels energized. And the other half of me feels completely drained. And all I want to do is retreat to the familiar surroundings of my home and sit and not talk and not have to do anything. I just want to decompress And Paul understood that that's something that we as human beings wrestle with. I'm sure he wrestled with it to some degree as well, but Christ was giving him the power and the perspective, to value reaching out to other people, to put himself into unfamiliar circumstances. And as Paul was doing this, as a man who grew up Jewish, trying to reach the Gentiles with the gospel of Christ, Paul was trying to help the church at Rome to value that kind of outward focus, to value that kind of outward ministry. He's saying, look, you know, effectively, look at the open door for ministry that the Lord's given to me to reach the Gentiles. Don't minimize it. Join with me in this mindset. Join with me in this attitude. Don't just observe me doing it. Do this with me. You know, be with me in prayer. Partner with me in this. Don't forget how unique this opportunity is. That's what Paul was challenging the church to think about, and he was speaking boldly about it. And that was good because this is the type of thing that believers in all generations need to be reminded of. Because we need to be reminded of it too, just like the church at Rome was. You know what kills most churches? Churches die when they become more and more inwardly focused. When they retreat to familiar people and familiar places and forget as if there's a whole lost world (laughs) operating right around them. And they just retreat back to the fortress and they retreat back to the bunker. And stop concerning themselves with a lost world all around them. And here in this context here, Paul was saying, don't go that direction. Remember the open door to reach the Gentiles that the Lord has kicked wide open for us to be able to do this. And he's saying, join me in this level of thinking. Join with me in this mindset. And then he goes on to give them specific details. And one of the things when we're talking about like this idea of speaking boldly, about these things. I think one of the things that we could say is a way to speak boldly in an other centered way or an other centered mindset. You see in verses 17, 18, and 19, where you have Paul letting others know about the ways in which the Lord was accomplishing his mission through him. So you and I can do that as well, can't we? We can let other people know about the ways in which the Lord is accomplishing his mission. Through us, Because a lot of times it's that personal testimony that encourages somebody else to get on board and join you in what the Lord's allowing you to do. Look at what it says in verse 17 and the verses following that. It says, "...in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed." by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Don't answer this question out loud, but here's the question. Let me just throw it out there. (laughs) It's a strange question, I'll admit. Do you have any close friends who continually brag about themselves? you have any close friends who continually brag about themselves? By the way, I'm asking that question somewhat jokingly because most people who continually brag about themselves don't tend to have very many close friends, right? So the answer to that question is like, well, I, I probably have a few acquaintances who continually brag about themselves or maybe, you know, maybe a few people here and there who, who graciously put up with braggers, right? But bragging is an effective way to repel people. So if you want to repel people, you want to have less friends, you want to chase people away, brag about yourself and do it a lot. And you'll discover your circle of friends becoming smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, sometimes when the Lord does something good in our lives, we share that information openly. And we tell other people about it. We get excited about it and we want others to join us in that joy. Other times, we choose not to. And why do you suppose we sometimes choose not to share the work that the Lord's doing in our lives? I think one of the reasons we sometimes choose not to share is because we're fearful that it might actually come across like we're bragging. I have a friend in ministry who regularly, I'm, I'm eager to hear a testimony of what's going on in his context, and I'd like for him to share more details so that I know specifically how to pray, but he keeps everything very close to the vest. He doesn't share a whole lot, and I've discovered something about him, and it's that very thing that I just mentioned. He's afraid that if he shares about the successes that the Lord is accomplishing in his midst, in his midst that it's going to come across like he's bragging, that it's going to come across like he's boasting. So he keeps quiet about it, and I'm always thinking when I talk to him, I'm like, why do I have to pry this information out of you? Why don't you just share it? Why are not you just open about it? Let us know, because when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, it reveals to us that there's nothing wrong with humbly letting others know about the ways in which the Lord is accomplishing His mission through you. Now, you want to be careful how you do that. You want to be humble about it. You want to make sure that the Lord's the one getting the glory for it. But don't neglect to testify to the work of Christ that's being accomplished in your life. And so when you look at this portion of Scripture, you have the Apostle Paul actually expressing the fact that he's proud of the work that he had been doing for God. And that seems like a a, a strange statement, doesn't it? Because the way he says it here, you know, he says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. seems a little strange in one sense. But notice how he starts that sentence. He stresses that this emotion or this perspective was in Christ Jesus. So he's not talking about being proud of himself in the flesh. He's not talking about being proud of his abilities. He's not talking about being proud of where he excelled personally. He's talking about the fact that he's proud of what Christ Jesus has been accomplishing. He's stressing that the work that was being done was not being accomplished in his own strength or in his own wisdom. The strength that the Apostle Paul was utilizing for ministry here was strength that was supplied through Jesus. And Jesus was the one that Paul was careful to glorify as he testified about the fruit of the work that's being done here. In fact, Paul even stated that he wouldn't even bother to speak about work that he had done in his own strength because his goal was to testify to the work that Jesus was doing in and through him. So what was Jesus doing in and through the Apostle Paul that Paul was so excited about, that he was testifying about? Well, we're told here that the Gentiles, that it wasn't just a matter of him going to the Gentiles and proclaiming, but we're also seeing that there was fruit from it in that the Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ. And they were demonstrating the genuineness, the genuineness of their faith by living in obedience to the Lord. The way it's phrased here in this portion of scripture it says, he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except that, except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So the genuineness of the faith of the Gentiles was being demonstrated by their obedience to Jesus Christ. Very much the same as how the genuineness of your faith or my faith will be demonstrated. I can't tell you that my faith in Christ is genuine if I live in disobedience to Christ. If the pattern of my life is one of disobedience to the Lord, would you have any reason to believe that I have genuine faith in Christ? And here you have Paul saying, look at the fruit of what the Lord's doing here. These Gentiles who have grown up in paganism, who have grown up completely rejecting the Lord, have now come to faith in Jesus Christ and that faith is being demonstrated to be genuine because of their obedience to Jesus Christ. They're living in obedience to the Lord in the midst of a culture that does not encourage them to do so. Do you ever wonder what our culture might be like 20 years from now? Or 30 years from now? I'm kind of curious because there's some things that take place right now that I'm very much uncomfortable with. And I look at that and I think to myself, okay, well, you know, I'm at the season of life where my kids are all getting older and one at a time, they're going to be now moving out of the house. So I've already started thinking about the next season. I have friends my same exact age who have already started having grandchildren. So I think, all right, well, grandchildren, that's, that's coming around the corner. And I've already started thinking, all right, what's it going to be like for them? Because there's some genuine antagonism toward those who follow Christ in our culture now? And it seems to be ramping up. So if it's ramping up, what's it going to look like? And then you look at those that Paul was writing this letter to and you consider what their culture was like at that time. There was genuine antagonism toward believers in that era. I mean, you might actually lose your life, and some of them did lose their lives because they bore the name of Christ in an open way. And yet still, we're seeing these Gentile believers coming to, you know, they're coming to faith in Christ, they're going from their paganism to faith in Christ, and they're demonstrating the genuineness of their faith by their obedience to Christ in a culture that tried to discourage them from being obedient, in a culture that says, if you're obedient to Christ, there's going to be a consequence to you that you're not going to like." And yet they were obedient to Christ. That's encouraging to us living in the midst of a culture that for a season may go in a direction that we find very uncomfortable as believers in Christ. And let me tell you a little secret that Paul makes known in this passage here that I think should be encouraging to us if we seek to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ in the midst of this culture. And I think it's a, a secret that's worth knowing if it's become the desire of your heart to make Christ known, where Christ opens up doors for you to make Him known. And the secret is this, there are going to be times when the Lord will accomplish powerful things through you. And in Paul's case, he references some of those powerful things. Some of those were signs. Some of those were wonders that were done through the Apostle Paul during that generation. And why was the Lord doing that through Paul? Well, the Lord was doing a couple things here. He was confirming the message of the gospel that Paul was preaching. He was showing to people that it was true, and he was confirming that message with signs and wonders. And he was also doing this for the Apostle Paul's benefit to confirm him as a messenger of the gospel. So you have the Lord confirming with these signs and wonders, with powerful demonstrations of His power, that the message was true and that the messenger could be relied upon. If you carry through on doing what the Lord has called you to do in the midst of our generation right now, do not be surprised if the Lord works His power through you and validates you in the eyes of others As his messenger. Now, I'm not saying that miraculous signs and wonders in the same exact way that were done during the Apostle Paul's era will be done through you. The Lord can certainly do that if he chooses to. But I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to be exactly like that. But please notice what the Lord was doing. The Lord doesn't ask us to go out in our own power and then leave us and abandon us. We go out as his ambassadors. We also go out with his strength, with his power and with His presence. And I can tell you from personal testimony, so I've only lived one life, right? I've only lived one life. I've only lived my life. So I can tell you from personal testimony that there are many times throughout the course of my ministry, my wife and I have talked about this quite regularly, but there have been many times throughout the course of my ministry when I became convinced that the Lord caused something to work out well as a way of lending me His credibility. Does that sound ridiculous to say that? Like there are times that I've looked at at certain things and I thought, alright, that went way better than I anticipated. That went way better than I planned. And I felt like in certain moments throughout the course of my ministry that the Lord was basically validating and, and, and saying, look, I'm going to give you my credibility so that this task gets accomplished. And on many occasions, I've found myself whispering this praise to the Lord. I see what you're doing. I see how you're making this work where naturally speaking, I shouldn't expect this to work, but somehow you're making this work and somehow you actually made me look competent in the midst of this. Thank you. And and there are many times that I've praised the Lord and just simply said, this is the type of prayer sometimes I'm praising the Lord with in my head. Lord, thank You for having my back. Thank You for having my back. And one of the things He's given me confidence about is that when He asks you to step out on faith, He doesn't ask you to step out on faith and then leave you there as a spectacle to just laugh at from heaven, right? He's not looking at you from a distance and saying, look at the risk you took in my name. Now I'm going to abandon you and let you fall flat on your face. In my experience, it hasn't been that way. You take the step of faith and then all of a sudden you realize the Lord has empowered you to do what what he's called you to do. And then he makes things work out that you realize, all right, naturally speaking, this wouldn't have worked out. But the Lord had my back in this moment. And he helped me. And when you look at what was happening in the Apostle Paul's context, don't you see him doing that for Paul? Paul? He's confirming that the message was true, and he was giving Paul his credibility as a messenger so that people would actually listen to the things that Paul was trying to communicate and ultimately come to faith in Christ. And there's one other thing when we're talking about this idea of speaking boldly and communicating for the Lord's glory. There's one other thing that this scripture points out to us, and this is where we'll finish up today, and that's this. Preach the gospel where it needs to be heard. And this is a directive for all of us here. Now, some of you would say, I'm not a public speaker. I'm not somebody that even likes to introduce myself to people that I don't already know. This applies to all of us, whether you're the biggest extrovert with us today or the biggest introvert. We're called to preach the gospel where it needs to be heard. Now, let me read verses 20 and 21, and let's finish by just talking quickly about what they're talking about here. But in verse 20, it says this, and thus I made it my, excuse me, he says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel. Not where Christ has already been named, lest I I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of Him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. How has the Lord ordained that the gospel be communicated? He's ordained that the gospel be preached and proclaimed throughout this world from the lips of those who already have faith In Jesus Christ. So at this point now, there are many generations of believers who have been faithful to make the gospel known in their households and in their communities and in far-off places where they've traveled. And in this way, now throughout multiple generations, the message of the gospel has spread throughout this world. Now, there's still some places in this world that need to hear. But when you consider where the gospel was first proclaimed, and where it's reached, and even where we are right now as we're listening to the message of the Scripture being proclaimed, it's traveled quite far. And Paul's ambition, Paul's desire, was to preach the gospel where people didn't already know about Christ. So he went to cities, and he went to countries where Christ's ambassadors had not already visited, and the Lord opened up the eyes, and the Lord opened up the hearts of many people to come to faith in Christ. And that's encouraging to see and that's encouraging to know. And practically speaking, I think that there's great counsel here for us to appropriate when we read a passage like this. And as we're preparing our hearts now to approach a brand new week with all the new opportunities that are going to be presented to us in the midst of this week, we're being encouraged by Paul's example to preach the gospel where it needs to be heard. So where is that? Where does the Gospel need to be heard? How about this? Ask it this way. Right now, who do you have a burden for? Who do you have a burden in your heart for that they would come to know Jesus Christ? Who do you already have an audience with? you know what I mean by that? By virtue of your day-to-day life, who do you already have an audience with? Somebody that you interact with? Somebody that you already talk to? Who do you know that would be willing to hear the message of the Gospel more readily from you than they would from anyone else because of all the years of trust that have been invested in your relationship? It's funny, some people think that a trained uh, you know, preacher of some kind needs to be the one who proclaims the Gospel. Well, I'm a trained preacher. And I can be in one spot at one time. And there are people you know who wouldn't trust me for anything because I'm a trained preacher. They would have zero interest whatsoever in hearing anything I had to say because I, I'm a pastor. They would automatically tune that out because they would either have like a negative pre uh, supposition about pastors. Or they would just not want to interact with a pastor or anything like that. So there are people in your life that you have an audience with that I do not. People who would automatically distrust me, but would trust you. Because they know you. And they've seen you live your life. And they've watched you walk with Christ for decades and decades. And they've seen that you're the real deal. And if you speak, they would listen. Who do you have that burden for? Who do you already have that audience with? Don't wait for the the person that you think is better trained or or more um, used to speaking to people or something like that to come along. Be the one who makes the gospel known where it needs to be heard. Again, Paul says here, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. Lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. There's someone that the Lord's given you an audience with, maybe several people that the Lord's given you that audience with. Be the communicator of the gospel to that member of your family, or to that friend, or to that acquaintance, or to that neighbor. Whomever the Lord has burdened your heart to be that person for, be that ambassador to that person for Christ's glory. while back I heard an interesting story about a man named Hugh Latimer. And I don't imagine that most of us have heard of this man, but Hugh Latimer lived during the time of Henry VIII. And he was invited to come and preach before Henry VIII, and I'm assuming his court. So, you know, the the king would have worship services there uh, in his presence, and Hugh Latimer was invited to come and preach. So he came and he preached. And he preached boldly. And he preached enthusiastically. And he preached emphatically. And his message was faithful to the scriptures. And then after he preached, Henry VIII was ticked, he was extremely irritated. And Latimer was told, you're going to be invited to come before the king next week as well. And you're going to be given, graciously, a second chance, or mercifully, a second chance to speak. But this is what you're going to do when you speak. You're going to apologize for the offenses that you just made today. So you're going to come back next week, and you're going to apologize to everyone that sat through that message today because you've offended the king and his court so imagine being put in that spot (laughs) round two you come before the king what would you say so Hugh Latimer gets and Henry VIII wasn't somebody that messed around right I mean his track record of killing people was pretty uh you know what would you say pretty regular you know there were plenty of people that lost their lives and lost their heads because of Henry VIII so Hugh Latimer gets before Henry VIII a week later and he stands there and he says well You're the king, and you have the authority to take my life if you choose, and that's not something I dispute. But here's the thing. I answer to a higher authority who oversees my soul. And so I've got to say what God tells me to say, and nothing else. And he preached the exact same message that he preached the week before, except this time with even more boldness. And he proclaimed it. And I thought to myself, alright, Hugh Latimer, (laughs) I don't know a whole lot about that guy. I only The only thing I know about the guy really is that story. And I read that some time ago and I I thought to myself, alright, that's some boldness. To preach the Gospel wherever the Lord gives you the open door. To preach the Gospel where it needs to be heard and to leave the consequences up to the Lord, whatever those consequences may be. Let me say this as we finish up. As men and women who have been convinced that the gospel is true, who have been convinced of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ, we have been invited to testify about Him. Jesus isn't a secret for us to keep. We have been invited to testify about Him. We've been empowered by Him to be bold witnesses of His gospel throughout this world. And certainly we could be nice about that. Uh, and, And there isn't anything wrong with being nice. I affirm being nice. <laughs> but at the same time, there's also nothing wrong with gracefully stirring people up with the truth that they need to hear, but maybe they don't initially want to hear. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Sometimes the Gospel offends us first before it heals us. It shocks us out of what we, out of our false belief so that we could believe the truth. So when... And how should you speak boldly for Christ? Well, I would contend that the answer to that question is this, whenever He gives you the opportunity to do so, and in such a way that others are given a glimpse of His heart through what you say. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at Your Word together and to meditate on these truths and to think about just the nature of who you are and what you do. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you inspired someone in the chain of events that led up to where we are to be bold about proclaiming the message of the Gospel. That somebody took the risk and then we heard it. And we recognized our need for Your Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue and redeem us, and You prompted our eyes to see and softened our hearts to to be receptive to the message of the Gospel so that we would receive Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, as our Lord. So Father, we're grateful for the fact that You have orchestrated that in our lives, and we pray that by Your grace that we would be less concerned about how we look and more concerned about the message that we communicate. So Lord, You, you know our hearts. You know the type of things that make us fearful and the type of things that, that make us shiver. But at the same time, Lord, we are confident, just as the Apostle Paul was confident, that if You call us to something, You're going to empower us and in many respects, you'll, you'll validate the message and the messenger with your miraculous power. So Lord, just as you did that for Paul, just as you did that for Peter, just as many of us in this room already can testify to the fact that we've seen you do that, Lord, we know that for those that have not yet had the opportunity or not yet taken the opportunity to be that bold witness, Lord, we pray that you would remind them of that truth as well so that their hearts would be bolstered, so that they would have encouragement, that they would be lifted up, that they would be edified, that they would be confident in You and in what You do. And so, Lord, we pray that by Your grace that You'd help us to speak boldly as we proclaim Your name in the context in which You've called us to serve and with the audience that You've given us some trust with already. Lord, thank You for burdening our hearts for those that need to know You. Thank You again for the privilege of being able to look at a portion of Scripture like this that reminds us of the burden that You had placed on Paul's heart and the burden that, that he was ultimately trying to share with the church at Rome. But We pray, Lord, that we would be burdened for the generation in which we live and that we would be Your witnesses in the midst of it. And we thank You, Lord, for Your love and for Your goodness. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.